0: insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio.
1: Okay. hour. What is this? Hour three. I'm losing track. We are back. uh, The number 888-914-9149 or if you want to send me an email, just send it to me at uh, patrick at relevantradio.com. I've got so many emails, I've got to stop and think. Which is the right one? I'll, I had a note this morning, and for the life of me, I can't find it. It came and went. I don't know if it was magically unsent, but the, the gentleman who called or who wrote in, we were talking about the passage where Jesus says, If you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. And, and he, the import of his note was, Well, I don't think that's true. Or what about if it's your wife? So here's the answer to that. Uh, It still obtains, because even your wife, you should not harbor thoughts of lust for. It's different, I mean, obviously for married people, and this is not a topic for children, of course, so parents, please do the right thing, not age-appropriate, but only for a couple of minutes, that's all. Send the kids in the other room, or turn the radio down for a couple of minutes, and fair warning, ready, steady, go. Okay. (sighs) Okay. In marriage, of course, you enjoy the freedom of having that kind of relationship. So you have a friendship, you have love for each other, and you also, by God's design, you have the intimacy, the physical intimacy that is part of marriage. So you have that right, you and she both. And you have the right to ponder and imagine and consider and remember and think about with your wife, all those things that you can think about, okay? You can. There's nothing immoral with that. These are the same kinds of things that you would push away from your imagination. You'd push away when thoughts, ideas, images, etc., come into your mind about a woman who is not your wife because it's not lawful for you to entertain those thoughts. Jesus said so. But again, because in marriage, you do have that right with her. Thinking those thoughts and enjoying the memories and all those other things are entirely lawful for you and for her. That's not the same thing as lust, though. Lust is an objectification. Lust is a sin against purity and chastity. It's one of the seven deadly sins. And it is, in in its essence, it can take one of two forms or or even both in the in the case i think it's typically one or the other one form would be where you are lusting after a woman who you have no right to entertain these thoughts about because she's not your wife the second would be even if she is your wife to objectify her to to see her or to indeed in a sinful way lust after her it, because in your mind, she's merely an object for your own gratification. She, it, it's dehumanizing and objectifying. Well, that kind of lust would be wrong even within marriage. But the other thing that I described earlier about memories and thoughts and, you know, anticipation, etc., those are entirely lawful for married couples, but there's a distinction between that and lust. I hope that answers your question. Thank you. Uh, let's get back to the phones. We'll go to Linda now in Austin, Texas. Good morning, Linda.
0: Hello. Good morning. Yes. Good, good morning. morning. Welcome. Thank you for uh, yes. Thank you so much for taking my call. Sure. A uh, quick question. Um, yesterday at mass, I witnessed mm-hmm. two transgender people, Mm-hmm. Receive the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what to do. I I plan on speaking with my pastor about it, but I, it, mm-hmm. yeah, it broke my heart. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything I can do in my spiritual
2: life? Prayers.
1: Yes, I mean, obviously, we want to pray for, you know, that Fatima prayer is very appropriate. Oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins. You know, save us from the fires of hell, lead all souls to heaven especially those most in need of thy mercy. So a prayer like that would be very appropriate and you don't know the inner workings of those people's souls but you can as Jesus says, judge with the right judgment. Yeah. you know we see the the fruits of trees we're told to, you know to, by uh, by its fruit you shall know the tree whether it's good or bad. So there are external things that you can see and say, well, that indicates that there seems to be a problem in this area, but you can't know with certitude from the heart. You can only draw conclusions based on outward actions. So in the same way, um, the, the person, the man, in the case of the priest who's distributing Holy Communion, is also called upon to make a similar kind of judgment, as Jesus says, judge with the right judgment. And if he perceives that these are people who either are mocking Jesus in the Eucharist, or they maybe he's aware that they're living an um, immoral lifestyle, and he has, according to the church's law, the right or even the duty to say, "I can't give you Holy Communion." And that's mm-hmm. a seemingly rare event, but that's something that the law provides for. Now, the issue of transgender—let's just take a transgender person. What does that mean exactly? If somebody is dressing as the opposite sex, or worse yet, mutilating his or her body to try to conform to the ideal or the, um, you know, the the paradigm of what the opposite sex is, that would be even more serious. Does that suggest that the person is doing so innocently and is being driven by gender dysphoria or other? clinical problems that could be um, diagnosed perhaps but one wonders doesn't one Mm -hmm. whether or not this external manifestation of these internal struggles or or the, the issue that's inside the person it sure gives the appearance that the person is living out a sexual identity, a sexual relationship in such a way that would be aberrant and sinful. I mean, that's, that's the outward appearance that one would give. You know, why would a man mm-hmm. dress up like a woman?
3: Mm-hmm. There, are,
1: there are deep-seated issues at play there, no doubt, but among them would be the reasonable assumption that he's living in, an, in a, a degenerate and immoral sexual lifestyle. That's what it suggests. So this is part of, this goes to the issue of scandal. And so we, we have to pay attention to what Jesus says about the danger of scandal. And if people are seeing this and thinking, well, what does this mean? Is the priest saying that's okay, what you do in your private life is actually okay? It could come across to people that that's what's being said. So it's, it's a very difficult topic that the church really didn't have to deal with much until recent years because it was so infrequent that this would happen. I'm talking about transvestites. Now they're called transsexuals, mm-hmm. but you get the idea. Mm-hmm. So as for you, since you can't really do anything, I mean, you could talk to the priest about it and find out what his thoughts were on this issue, but it may be that he doesn't see anything wrong with it. Who knows? I don't know. But for you, I think it is wise to pray and maybe even say some prayers of reparation in the event that there is something blasphemous happening. You can be offering mm-hmm. your prayers as an offset to that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So prayers for uh, reparation, are they just, just
4: my normal prayers, a yeah, rosary, anything you want. a divine chaplet? Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything divine you want. Chaplet. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. The rosary is a powerful prayer. The divine mercy chaplet actually includes you know, that we're we're saying this prayer when you pray it uh, for um, reparation for the sins of the whole world. So that, too, Mm -hmm. is probably the most pointed prayer. But yeah, anything like that would be pleasing to God, and it would help you grow in virtue. Thank
4: you. Yes, thank you so much for that. Um,
1: You're welcome. Yeah, we don't want to sit in judgment of other people, but there's a time and a place when you're presented with something, and you have to you have to make a judgment. Um, you have to go with what you see, and Jesus said, "You know, observe the fruit. A good tree will not bring mm-hmm. forth bad fruit. A bad tree will not bring forth good fruit." So there's a certain observational dimension to this that we, you know, we're we're not the morality police. We're not there judging people. But sometimes you see things and you have to draw conclusions. You you don't have a choice. If I saw you putting on a KKK outfit and heading down to the town square, I would draw a conclusion. Not that you would ever do that, Linda, but (laughs) that would seem to me to suggest racism and and discrimination and a group that is heinous in its objectives and philosophy. You know, people can't help but draw conclusions when they see certain things. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And no, I am not comparing trans people to KKK. I'm just drawing a, a parallel here. Where if you observe something, you're going to draw a conclusion. That's just natural human behavior. Let's go to Vani now in Lakewood, Colorado. Good morning, Vani.
2: Good morning, Patrick. Yes I wanted to tell you first that you was my new year's resolution. I, had, I made it, I got to call you I, mornings are not good for me, but the mm-hmm. more I waited the more questions I had so <laughs> I huh, say wonderful. I have good for you
1: I'm glad you called.
2: Well thank you and uh, uh, I was going to say uh, uh, just one more thing was uh, mm-hmm. on resolutions it was a nice one that anybody could make is love more in 24.
1: Love more in 24. I like that. That's great.
2: Yeah, I like like that too. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, what I wanted to ask you was, and my son was wondering, did Mary have other children after Jesus?
1: No, she had no other children besides Jesus. And there are some who are called the brothers of the Lord, like in Matthew 13, where we read that, James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude are called the brothers of the Lord, but no one in Scripture is ever called the son of Mary. So in that culture, in that time, and indeed in that language in Aramaic, they didn't use typically words like um, cousin or nephew or niece. They would refer to close family members as brother or sister, and it was just understood that if, if your niece was your niece, she, you would still call her sister or she'd be referred to as your sister. So that was the custom at the time. Uh, Elizabeth, interestingly enough, is referred to as a kinswoman of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so in Greek, there were terms for, let's say, cousin or kinswoman, etc. But Jesus and the apostles and Our Lady and the people there in Nazareth, they weren't speaking Greek, they were speaking Aramaic. So when you see in the Greek, these are the brothers of the Lord, it's referring to that close family relationship. And what's interesting, just to give you a little tidbit here, in Matthew 13, where it talks about James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude being the brothers of the Lord, we know with certitude that two of them, James and Joseph, were the children of Mary, but not Mary the mother of Jesus, it was Mary the mother of Cleophas, also known as Alpheus or Clopas, And in John 19, you see the Blessed Virgin Mary at the foot of the cross. St. John is there. St. Mary Magdalene is there. And this other Mary, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, is there. And she is the mother of two of those men who were called the brothers of the Lord. So clearly we see in, in those two, they were not the sons of Mary, the mother of Jesus. But even so, they were called the brothers of Jesus. So there's an example of the proof that the term was used that way. We don't see any other children, for example, when Jesus, as 12 years old, remained behind in the temple. Remember the finding in the temple when Mary and and Joseph both thought that the other one had Jesus with them, and they've at some point discover, "Uh uh-oh, we don't have Jesus, so they go back to Jerusalem and they find him, and there's no mention of any other children. It's just Mm -hmm. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. Or at the last, um, or at the crucifixion, rather, I mentioned in John chapter 19, if Mary had other children besides Jesus, then why would Jesus entrust her into the care of St. John, who is not a member of the family? So that, too, points to the fact that there were no other children besides Jesus. Now, there are other reasons, other theological reasons that we could bring to bear, but just to give you a little bit more detail this is part of the biblical case that Mary did not have other children besides Jesus.
2: Yeah, he he thought that J- James was. And I didn't I didn't think so because they were called brothers at that time, different ones, and that didn't mean a brother, you, you know. Right.
1: It could mean brother, but it could also mean cousin or nephew or you know, even a close friend for that matter. And you I think you said you had a second question, is that right?
2: Yes, I do. And it's um hold you this oh um, well, my sister and I have had this uh, conversation over the years, and I just thought I would ask. Um, she, I, I think when Jesus talked to the good thief and said, This day you will be with me in paradise, mm-hmm. I took that pretty literal. She said that Jesus said, um, you will be, uh, This day you will be with me in paradise, meaning this day I tell you you will be in paradise. And it's just a simple question,
1: but, but we yeah. just have to no, right. that. She's not right. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, so what he's saying there is you could, you could understand it in two ways. Actually, they're not mutually exclusive. One is that he's telling the good thief, the man crucified to his right, that he would be with him in the underworld where the righteous of the Old Testament were. Remember that parable Jesus gives about Lazarus and the rich man?
2: Mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay,
1: so that's in Luke 16, and there Jesus describes the underworld. And the bad people go to a place of fiery punishment. The good people go to a place of peace and tranquility. So as Jesus describes it, Lazarus, the poor man, he goes to this place of peace and tranquility with Abraham, and the rich man goes to the place of fiery punishment. And as he is talking to Abraham, the rich man talking to Abraham, Abraham says, there is a great gulf or a great chasm fixed between where you are and where we are. And we cannot travel to where you are and you cannot travel to where we are. Now, they were all in the underworld. They were all in Sheol or Hades. And yet there was a place of rest and patiently waiting for the Messiah to come. So that is what Jesus is referring to primarily when he says, this day you will be with me in paradise, meaning he when the good thief died, he too would go to the underworld. Jesus went there. He preached the gospel to those who were waiting in that prison and then brought all of them, including the good thief, to heaven because the gates of heaven had been closed by the sin of Adam and Eve. So, when Jesus, after his death on the cross, brings all of those people who were waiting patiently for the Messiah, not the people in punishment, but the good people, then they go into heaven. And that too could be understood in a broader sense as paradise. You know, if we want to think of heaven as paradise, but more specifically, it's that place where they were waiting. You see? Yes,
2: I've heard you talk about that before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, well, well good. I hope
1: that's helpful.
2: Yes, it is very helpful. And my sister is deceased. And, but I just thought I have w- wondered about it for years, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted well, to help. Well, I'm glad we could it.
1: take care of it. Thank you, Vonnie. You must have a lot of snow on those mountains in, around Lakewood, Colorado, right?
2: Well, yes, the mountains are really getting it. And we have I bet really they are. Really cool-
1: well, stay warm and well-fed, Vonnie. Thank you for the call. I'll be right back. This hour supported by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Join the nation's largest Catholic-oriented credit union and receive $200 when you add a direct deposit. Learn more at NotreDameFCU.com slash join. That's NotreDameFCU.com slash join.
0: Patrick Madrid is on Coast to Coast on Relevant Radio.
1: There we go. This is a song called White Tornado. Crank it up a little bit, Young Tom's. I like the bass on this song. It's by R.E.M., by the way. They're different versions. This is the best one, if you ask me. Okay, I have a little audio I want you to listen to, just to give you an example of how insane the uh, transgender ideology has become, even, and maybe in some ways, especially in medical circles. This is some audio from Boston Children's Hospital, uh, in which um, she appears to be a physician, and she's talking on behalf of uh, pur- purportedly, anyway, on behalf of Boston Children's Hospital about issuing. Okay, brace yourself for this. I wish I could hand all of you some duct tape to tape your craniums down before they explode, but I don't have any. I don't have enough duct tape to give all of you a piece. She's explaining with great glee the Boston Children's Hospital policy of issuing, are you ready for this? Hysterectomies to girls, children, kids. I'll let her speak for herself, go.
0: Hysterectomy is very similar to most hysterectomies that occur. A hysterectomy itself is the removal of the uterus, the cervix, which is the opening of the uterus, and the fallopian tubes, which are attached to the sides of the uterus. Some gender-affirming hysterectomies will also include the removal of the ovaries, but that's technically a separate procedure called a bilateral oophrectomy. And not every gender-affirming hysterectomy includes that, and people who are getting gender-affirming hysterectomies do not have to have their ovaries removed.
1: (sighs) And she's so chirpy. Yeah, I thank you. That's extra and I needed it. We, I put some on at the break, young Thomas. Thank you. But I'll take another piece, please. I'm going to need it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I hope it holds. I just want to remind you that these people are out there and they want to get this gender affirming s- surgeries to your kids. She's so chirpy and it's diabolical. So just when you thought it couldn't get any weirder, it got weirder. And that is issuing gender-affirming hysterectomies to girls, underage girls, too. This kind of thing is going on all over the place. And uh, if you want to post that, Young Thomas, on the show Twitter feed, we'll let people see it and um, and judge accordingly. 888-914-9149. Let's go now to Joe in Gilbert, Arizona. Hi, Joe.
5: Hi, Patrick. Um We've spoken before, and um, I had a que- I have a, a couple of questions regarding uh, one of my daughters, um, who's 22. She's going to be 23 soon. Uh, she was born and raised as a Catholic, received all the sacraments. Um, she's single, um, but she has now gotten into some pretty weird things, um, and she's got some pretty crazy ideas. And okay. she's got a friend of hers who she says is a psychic and she is now thinking about going to uh she's actually signed up for one of this friend's um retreats mm-hmm. and i think it's like a multi-day retreat
1: mhm are you wondering what you can possibly and do to get her out of this crazy that's right that's yeah. right and i my heart goes out to and, you joe you know, <laughs> i would thank feel you. I would feel consternated, as I'm sure you and your wife do. Well, I mean, she—these things you're describing—they all seem to fit the trajectory of somebody who's just checked out from believing in Jesus and believing in 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 the gospel. So maybe, in addition to your prayers, of course, and your good example and giving your advice—excuse me—if she's willing to listen to your advice. I think you've got nothing to lose by giving her a copy of that little book on hell called The Dogma of Hell. And and it's a right-between-the-eyes, double-barrel, you know, dose of biblical truth, what Jesus had to say about hell and the reality of hell and the things that lead people to hell. And she might be offended, okay. She might be shocked, how dare you give me a book like this, Dad? Well, okay. She also very well might be converted. It could get her attention, as it has done for many other people. It could get her attention. And at the very least, she wouldn't be able to say, well, I never knew. I didn't know that this was leading me away from Jesus. So you've got nothing to lose, Joe, and maybe everything to gain. If you want to see that book, uh, we don't sell it here at Relevant Radio, but if you want to see a picture of it, just go to relevantradio.com slash... Patrick and then click on links and you'll see the book there. If you, if you want to see what you're looking for when you go to the bookstore.
5: Okay. Because my wife and I were thinking, I mean, should this be like a, a condition to tell her you can't go to this or you have to be, Oh, we have to take you out of the house.
1: Well, she, she's 22. You said she's 22. Yeah. She just
5: like out of the blue, quit her job. She thinks the money is just going to flow to her. Uh, she started college and then she quit college. And but she's uh, she says with that her you? friend is believes in God, but okay. but she's you know I asked her specifically just recently. Well, does she believe that Jesus is God? You know, and she says her friend is really good, and she just she's got some crazy ideas.
1: Yeah, well, um, she sounds like a mixed up young woman, and I don't know I don't know how far behind her your daughter is, but is she living with you? Is she under your roof? Yes. Yeah. So sure. I would say, you know, I love you. I'd crawl over broken glass to do anything I could to help you, daughter of mine, but you can't bring that into our home. You can't bring the occult into our home and that we won't permit. I mean, if if she were cooking meth and wanted to cook meth in your home, I'd say, nope, You're going to have to go live somewhere else because we're not going to have that in our home. And this is worse than cooking meth. So as painful as that might be, I would just tell her, listen, I mean, we don't want you to be caught up in this. This is dangerous. This will lead you to hell. This is a terrible thing. We can't force you to do the right thing because you're 22 years old. You should know better. But we definitely will not allow you to bring that into this home. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's sad. But, you know, other young women have read this book, I'm telling you, and have had amazing reconversions. Um, I know one personally, and I've heard from others with similar situations. So you've got nothing to lose and everything possibly to gain, Joe.
5: Yeah, because she's one of seven, and I, two, I have two other younger 20 and a 22 that you know she's very heavily influencing the youngest i I mean 20 and
1: 18 Mm -hmm. give them all a copy of this book give every one of your kids a copy of this book i'm assuming they're all you know old enough um give one it's like a like a little uh, vitamin tablet to help boost their awareness of the reality of hell Jesus talked about it quite a bit. Well, my heart goes out to you, Joe, but that would be a strategy I would definitely employ if I were you. Thank you. How about Agnes now in Canada? Good morning, Agnes.
0: Well, good morning, Patrick. Hi. God bless your team. Thank you. I have a situation where um, a young man in our parish, I'm close with his mother. The mother asked the young man to speak to me. Um, I have learned from you and Bishop Barron and... I do my best okay so this is the complex thing uh this young man is now getting married and for the last couple of years living in his parents home um he and his dad have prevented siblings who do not attend church or practice their faith from really being part of the family so they put up a wall now this has been going on and then this young man gets engaged and he shared i've met with him a couple of times individually and but he Okay,
1: sorry, Agnes. You're, it sounds like you're coming to the crux of the issue here. Go ahead.
0: Thank you. That he is not going to invite the siblings to his marriage. All right. So, and with that, I just want um, your wisdom and discernment on if this is acceptable for him not to invite these siblings that he has already been putting a wall up and judging and uh, that he he's even considered um, that he could invite them late, but I'll just leave it at that, and the okay. the key issue is, is the schism with the siblings, because they're judging them, because they are not practicing as he sees himself practicing. The word self-righteous um, was given to me by another priest up at mm-hmm. St. Joseph's Oratory, and I have not said self-righteous to Thomas. Mm-hmm. At a wedding soon, so I'm I'm hesitating to follow through on some some good things that maybe he needs to hear, but maybe he doesn't.
1: Yeah. So if I have it right, he is a practicing Catholic, but he scorns or, or at least he's unhappy with his siblings who are not practicing the faith, and at least they're not practicing it to the extent he is. Is that a fair assessment?
0: Well, yeah, he they're shunning them. Yes, yeah. that's that's it's very very much to not you know have them at dinners at their house like Christmas or, you okay. know, there so there has been this wall that he has put up because he does judge them as not being good Catholics. Got
1: it. And how old is the young man?
0: The young man um, is of good faith, and he would be about twenty eight. He actually went in the seminary, Patrick. Okay. okay. Yeah, and um, that wasn't a fit for him.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe for the better, too, because a priest who is unduly harsh with people is not going to be very successful in the ministry. But in any case, um, yeah, it sounds based on what you're saying as though he's being overly stringent in his accepting his family for who they are and how they are. And rather than try to love them where they are and, and, and work with them and help them and encourage them to go in the right direction, he's sort of punishing them, or maybe he thinks he's punishing them by, by excluding them. This is his way to punish them because they're not living up to his exacting standards. And, and his exacting standards may be very high, at least on paper, But Jesus himself says, you know, unless you forgive your brother from your heart, you're not going to be forgiven. So I don't know the inner workings of any of these things, but it sounds as though he has a pride issue and a forgiveness issue. That in his pride, perhaps, he can't bring himself to condescend to forgiving fellow sinners um, because he is in his exalted position. So I concur with you, and the priest who said it, it sounds like he's very self-righteous. But I mean, I don't know, other than what you're describing, but it sounds overly, overly harsh and retributive. He's, He's like exacting retribution on his siblings. Why? Why not try to work toward them coming closer to God and this Angry shutting people out, I think, is going to have the opposite effect. And so, maybe if you can talk heart to heart with them, I would say if you really do care about your family's spiritual well being, why would you do something that's going to push them further away? Why not do something that will help draw them closer, like showing charity, forgiveness, love, you know, the, the things that Jesus espoused? Why not do that? And who knows what he'll say? I don't know.
0: But yes, he's not, he's not he, this is why it's great because I will send this to him. Um, if you recommend that, Patrick, I'll send it to him. Because... Oh, then he won't invite
1: me to the wedding. That'll be a dr- No, I'm just uh-huh. kidding.
0: <laughs> I won't
1: be invited either way, but yeah, send it to him. If I were his father, I have younger sons his age. And if I were his father, I'd say the same thing. I'd say, look, you know, you like that the Lord forgives you, don't you? You like that the Lord is patient with you, don't you? So, I mean, why can't you be more Christ-like? It doesn't mean that you're condoning bad behavior. It doesn't mean that you're, you know, just saying, well, whatever doesn't really matter. You're not saying any of those things. You're just being more Christ-like and loving as a way to draw your siblings in the right direction. But if you're the ice man and all you do is crack the whip and slam doors closed and you're icy cold toward everybody, you're going to have the opposite effect. And and you're maybe going to single-handedly push them further away. What a sad thing that would be, you know?
0: Indeed, Patrick. Well, that's everything, and that those are my thoughts, And but I, it'll be great for him uh, to get this. Now, the wedding's in April, to show, mm-hmm. and I have learned, I, well, I'm going to be confidential here, just in case they're listening, so that's excellent, Patrick. I will send that to him, and sometime I may update you on what, what
1: happened. <laughs> Good. Well, I will pray for him. I mean, I don't mean that as a put down, because obviously sometimes people say, well, I'll pray for you, and that's really just a put down. I don't mean it that way. Um, I I will Mm -hmm. hope and pray that there will be some happy Jesus-centered solution to this. I like what St. Paul said in Ephesians 4, verse 32. He says, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So we're the recipients of the Lord's patience and kindness, and we're enjoined repeatedly in Scripture to do the same for others, you know? So that's my advice for what it's worth. Okay, it's
0: beautiful. And I thank you, Patrick, and uh, prayers Thanks, for I you guess. and all of
1: you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Well, we all do appreciate those prayers, that's for sure. Thank you. Let's take a quick time out. We'll come right back to your phone calls right after this. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester, an Illinois life insurance company not available in all states.
2: Compelling
0: insights, unpredictable conversations, encouragement for your day. It's the Patrick Madrid Show on Relevant Radio.
1: Here's something weird. Uh... Vladimir Putin is in the news for something. I mean, he's always in the news for dumb things, bad things. He's in the news now because, believe it or not, he's he's seeking to revoke the 1867 sale of Alaska by Russia to the United States. Can you believe that? So back in those days, just after the Civil War, Russia sold Alaska for $7.2 million. <laughs> And Putin is now saying, "Yeah, we're going to avoid that. We're we're going to ask for, we're going to give you a refund. And we're going to take Alaska back, or worse to that effect. I know it sounds super crazy, but when I first saw it, I thought, this can't be real. And I don't read Russian, but I saw on Twitter a, a picture of the letter or the declaration that he gave in accordance with... Subparagraph one, of paragraph two of Article Seven Eighty Five of the Budget Code of the Russian Federation. Blah 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 blah. Basically saying we're gonna we're gonna redo this and we're not gonna sell you Alaska after all. So what does that mean? Are they gonna try to take over Alaska? Uh, good luck, guys. You can't even make your case in in Ukraine. Um, anyway, so that's in the news, and I hope it doesn't go anywhere. I hope it's just another crazy thing. But should it? evolve into something more, God forbid, at least you heard it here first. 888-914-9149. How about Heidi now in Milwaukee? Good morning, Heidi.
2: Hey Patrick, I have a question. First of all, oh man,
4: that word on Putin that you just said, wow. Isn't that crazy? Um, we'll see what happens with that. That is nuts. Yeah. Um, but anyway, on to my question. My husband comes from a really good Catholic family, but mm-hmm. his brother married a Lutheran from a very faithful, good family. And her father just passed away, so okay. obviously the funeral is this Saturday at a Lutheran church. I'm just wondering as a Catholic, to what extent can I participate in the mass as a member of the congregation
1: so the the luther the funeral it will be held at a Lutheran church, and yes. just remind me again, the person who his is deceased is a lifelong Lutheran, did you say? Yes, okay. So no, there's no problem for you to go to that funeral as a Catholic. You can go, like you could go to a wedding at a Lutheran church, that's fine. Um, If if there are two non-Catholics getting married, you could go to the Justice of the Peace and see two people getting married. There's no problem with that either. The problem arises when it's a Catholic. But in this case, as far as a funeral is concerned, you can certainly go as a Catholic, you can pray for the repose of the soul of this person. You can be present to offer your condolences and to show respect. Um, And even if, let's say, if you were related, so let's say you were the daughter or daughter-in-law or something, and they ask you to read a, a reading, you could even do that under those circumstances. But as far as like communion or any other participation, no. You're there to observe and pay your respects. But you could do that, that's for sure.
0: Okay. Thank you very much.
1: You're welcome. I'm glad we could take care of that so quickly. Thank you. And may whoever that is rest in peace. Uh, Let's go to Ryan now in Arizona. Hello, Ryan.
6: Hey, Patrick. Good morning. morning. Um, I just wanted to comment on the gentleman who called about his daughter and the occult practices that she's kind of gravitating towards. And I just wanted to reinforce what you had said because my mom had the same exact similar experience with me throughout the majority of my life and her endless prayers she always compares her action to saint monica but endless prayers i mean they really got me back my faith i mean you would have never expected this from me but at the lowest part of my life the only place i could find any comfort was in the catholic church in adoration Mm -hmm. so to that man who's heartbroken just keep the prayers up. And the one thing my mom did is she stood firm, absolutely firm, unbudging to the teachings of the Catholic Church. And at That's the time, I resisted her. Yeah, I know. I mean, really changed my life. I resisted her at like like a teenager. Um, even as a grown man, I resisted her. But that, un- that, that faithfulness she had is really what kept me in any sort of recovery. And, man, my life has changed. I go to daily mass. I'm part of the Knights of Columbus. I mean, Wonderful. it's just... Uh, it's just incredible. I just hope he never gives up. Keep praying and don't budge. You can't budge. It's the only way that she'll respect him. And um, Patrick, your advice on Book of Hell is incredible. I've read it several times and it does uh-huh. have an impact. So, for that, I'm so I glad thank you. Doing and that. There's, there's no mm-hmm. other truth in the Catholic Church, and I'm, I'm thankful to have a mom like that.
1: God bless your mom. Is she still
6: with us? Yes, she is, and she's got two other children she's working on right now. I'm the only one that's <laughs> come back, so there is help.
1: God bless her, and God has blessed you with a wonderful mother, so maybe you can join her in working on your siblings. You can help her help
6: them. Oh, yes, Divine Mercy Chaplet every day for my siblings.
1: Wonderful. Well, I admire you, Ryan, and I really admire your mother. What a great woman. Thanks for the call. Thank you, Patrick. Have a great day. You're welcome, yeah. Just got a note on that book on hell. This is from Kathy, and she's in Minneapolis, and she says, I've looked up the book you recommended, The Dogma of Hell, on used book sites. There are many with different publishers. Does it matter? They vary significantly in price. I don't think it matters one way or the other, but for my money, I would suggest that if you go to relevantradio.com slash Patrick, click on links, you'll see a picture of the book there. It's a modern edition. Now, the the language is not modern. Don't get me wrong. It hasn't been modernized, but it's a modern printing of this classic book, The Dogma of Hell. And it's, it's short and it's inexpensive. So it seems to me that if you want to economize, that's a good way to go. And when you hand somebody a book that's really big, sometimes it can be daunting, and they wouldn't read it just because they're afraid ah, it's going to take a long time. But this book is not big like that, so maybe that version of the book would be the good one to give. That's the one that I tend to give because I think it's, it's not daunting. It's not overwhelming, and people are likely to read it. Thank you. How about Ben now in the Bay Area? Good morning, Ben.
3: Good morning, Patrick. Um, I had a question around uh, 401Ks. I work at a company that offers a 401k plan. And like a lot of companies in the United States, the investments we can pick from in that plan are limited. And the ones that offer the best returns or whatever, those mutual funds tend to invest in thousands of companies, some of which could be pharmaceuticals or biotechs that do stem cell research or use aborted cells or whatever. And so as Catholics, I just wanted to know what obligations we have. Is it still okay to buy those mutual funds since we're limited in what we can pick and the other funds in those plans seem to have no returns or negative returns or or whatever? I hope my question makes sense, but I'd like to use the 401k because of the tax advantages, but I also don't want to invest in mutual funds that i shouldn't be or we shouldn't be um, if that makes sense
1: yeah no it makes complete sense and that means that you want to invest responsibly according to catholic moral principles and not even in inadvert, not excuse me and even not inadvertently to support a, a company that is doing something malicious yes. or immoral okay yeah. So, so To
3: to give you an example, I mean, mm-hmm. some of the funds, uh, are, they just invest in bonds and government and they have negative returns. So you say to yourself, well, I don't want those. I want to invest in something that will make me returns." Right. Then you go look at the funds that have those and, and they have thousands of companies they invest in. And you don't know what's what and where. No, it, I understand. You know?
1: Yeah, I can answer your question. So, I, I know what you're asking. So, the way to think about this number one is that w- whenever you're faced with a choice that involves participating with something that is immoral or evil you mm-hmm. have to you have to do your best to avoid it if possible now it's not always possible so for example the the cell phone that you're calling from the computer on your desk, the life insurance that you have, your car insurance, the batteries in your TV remote control, the food in your Mm -hmm. pantry, the clothing that you're wearing, um, all of it. It just, it's endless. All the different companies that you do business with on a daily basis who are, for example, supporting abortion. That's an example of where you're just sort of enmeshed in this situation where you're not intending to support something evil, but when you buy a computer or a cell phone or or car insurance or a battery to run your remote control or food to eat or soap to wash your body with, or and the list goes on and on and on, you're inevitably, you are inevitably contributing at a very remote level to the evils that many of these companies perpetrate but you have no choice and you also don't intend to do so. So in a case of in the stock market, if what you're investing in and you have no way of knowing, you know, when you start fractioning out these different funds, you know, does this company do something bad? If you have no way of knowing and you're not intending to do anything, then you're not morally culpable of doing anything Mm -hmm. wrong. If on the other hand, you say, oh, well, I can make a good return on Planned Parenthood stock. Now, I know Planned Parenthood doesn't have stock, but let's imagine. I know that Planned Parenthood has stock. I'm going to invest in Planned Parenthood so I can make a profit. That would be immoral because you would intentionally be participating in a much more direct way with the evil of Planned Parenthood, to use that as an example. If the Playboy channel issued stock and you said, ooh, I can make a lot of money on the Playboy channel, you would be doing something immoral because you're investing Mm -hmm. in something in participating at an intentional and in a much closer way. So what I would recommend would be get in touch with an organization like Ave Maria Mutual Funds because they're set up to studiously, meticulously avoid doing business by way of investing with companies that are doing immoral things. So they can analyze your portfolio, you know they can give advice, they can make suggestions. but there are organizations like Avi Maria Mutual funds who can assist you in that way because I obviously I'm not a stockbroker. I couldn't begin to tell you sure. things like that, but they could. So you might check with them. it's avimfunds.com. Okay. Um,
3: yeah, I'm familiar with them. I own some of their mutual funds in my IRA. But unfortunately, the 401k plan at my work doesn't offer that mutual fund. Otherwise, I would invest in it. So um, that's my dilemma: is with the choices I have been given, I'm a little limited in, you know, I, I I'm in limited in what I could choose from, mm-hmm. and what I could choose from the ones that offer the best returns. I I mean, there are thousands of stocks and those funds. And I'm, I'm not going to even mm. begin to do the research
1: on that. Yeah. And I can't even begin to give you micro advice. I can only give you the macro advice. If you are if you are able to not invest in companies or if, you, if you're able to say, nope, I don't want my money going into that, then I would exert that control. Um, if you have no way of knowing what the fund managers are doing, um, you could have your conscience clearer by Inquiring and asking and saying, "I don't want to put my money in these things." That would be a good thing to do in any case. Um, but anything that would be overt that you could say no to, that's what I would do. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate that. How about Maureen now in Chandler, Arizona? Good morning, Maureen. Hi. Good
4: morning, good morning. and thank you for taking my call. Sure. My my question is a little complicated. Hopefully, we have a, a little time. Um,
1: we don't have much time, I'm afraid. So we will have to be brief.
4: Yes. Yes, transgenderism. Um, mm-hmm. w- when you become aware about people that have been instructed not to do certain things in the church, because you know obviously we they still need salvation from all of us, and and like you said, our prayers. Mm-hmm. But when they're not following the guidelines that the church has established, at one point do you need to complain to the bishop?
1: Well, I mean, you have that right in the church's canon law, canon two one two. It says that the lay faithful, that's you and me, that we have the right and even at times the obligation to manifest our concerns about things that we perceive to be wrong going on in the church, we have that right. So you, you have the right, number one, and you might even have the duty to do so if there's, no, if there's nothing being done at the local level. I would first start with mm-hmm. your pastor because he's the first, you know, he's the most local authority
4: well that, and, that that's kind of what the little the issue is because he was told not to have leadership positions, and then all of a sudden he has one. and I kind of had heard that other people vouch for this person or something like that, That he was dressing as a man first and as a woman, and then he has his leadership position and we're, and then the pastor had said that he was not going to have it, and then he's having it so.
1: okay, so well my my point still holds, Maureen. I would say talk to your pastor first and see what happens. He may say, oh, you know, I didn't realize that, or I didn't see it that way, or whatever. Or He may say, get out of here, Maureen, you're causing trouble. I mean, I don't know what he'll say. Hopefully not the Mm -hmm. last thing. And if you feel as though you're not getting any satisfaction by way of a response, then yeah, you can write a respectful letter to your bishop and say, dear bishop, here's the situation. This is happening. That's happening. I've tried this. Nothing's happening. I wanted to bring, I want to bring it to your attention. You have that right. Yes. Okay. Now, bishops have plenty of headaches to deal with, and they have plenty of people writing letters of complaint. On you, like you. Yeah. So, but you do have the right if you want to do that. If you're trying to help a bad situation, start with the par- parish priest, though. Thank you. Uh, let's go to Rhonda now in Dubuque. Good morning, Rhonda. Yes, we have to good be quick. Morning.
2: Yeah, I will. It's been pointed out that Ash Wednesday. Falls on Valentine's Day this year, mm-hmm. uh, so for those who are preparing their par- their hearts for Lent, um, you might want to think about alternative plans for that to make sure you follow the direct, you know, follow the guidelines for um, Ash Wednesday and and then Good Friday and there in between.
1: Okay, that sounds like a public service announcement.
2: It kind of is, but I, I I couldn't
1: think of anybody that could say it. More people than you. So. <laughs> okay, yeah. Keep holy. Uh, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. And another thing to add to that is no meat on Ash Wednesday or Good Friday or the, good fr- or the Fridays during Lent. Thank you, Rhonda. And also fasting on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. I will be back tomorrow, God willing. And in the meantime, I'll pray for you. Please
6: pray for me. Now.